Good morning. How's everybody? Woo! Yes, it's making sure you're with me. This is active participation morning. You're like, what does that mean? I don't know. We'll see. Um, it's good to have you here. Danny was talking about renewal grant. Um, he, it, it really, really is, as we sat in a room and we were like, man, I've been, I've been uh, working in churches for 33, 34 years, and for 33 and 34 years, we often sat in rooms and decided things for everybody else. I'm like, what if we just had people decide what they wanted to do? Like, what's on your heart? What do you want to do? And so it doesn't have to be this huge thing. And one of the beautiful things we heard is like, what do you think about, uh, you know how it feels when you hit your golf ball into the water and you lose your ball? What if I sat next to the lake and just blessed people with a golf ball every time they did that? I'm like, that's renewal. How cool would that be? Like, oh, that's a bummer. God bless you. So that could be a renewal project. And you'd be like, da-da-da, I need like 100 bucks for some golf balls. We're like, sweet, we're in. So it can be like that level. I mean, it can. Like, like if you're like, I don't have much, we want to do that, right? Or it can be, you can. <laughs> Welcome to the crazy show. Hey, I love you. Picked out a nice outfit today, bro. It's hard to see you. He's like, you're not going to miss me today. I know, I know. So anyways, that's what that's about. Pray about it, think about it, engage with us. It would be really, really cool. We're going to uh, be talking about another story in the book of Acts today, and we're going to go down this path that can feel a little intense, maybe. It's really, really hard to cover this topic of um, lies, of accusations, of the role that the accuser plays in our lives in one sermon, but I want to throw some things out there. And I truly believe today may be a day for one of you one of, or more of us to kind of say, I'm tired of this lie that I'm believing. Like enough is enough. And when we look through the book of Acts, last week we, we talked about that how Luke wrote the book of Luke and Acts. It's not just like, when you read a gospel, and this summer we're going to start teaching through the book of Mark a little bit, just to say, like, what did Jesus actually say and actually do? Because there's a lot of people that are saying that what Jesus said, and he probably never actually, chance he may never actually said that, but we're trying to like, use Jesus for our benefit. And a lot of times in the book of Mark that you're going to see is like, and then this happened, and this happened. It's like this three-year journey that went really quick. In the book of Acts, it's a little bit longer, right? And when uh, Luke uh, looked back at these different events, it wasn't just like this immediacy. He's like, this happened. Then Now here's an amazing event, and this kind of thing happened, right? So the story that we're actually looking at today took place, so it's in early in the book of Acts, it took place maybe two or three years, four years after the resurrection, maybe after Pentecost, because it took some time. And the way they date it is that they'll look at historical events in Acts, right, and they'll be like, oh, we know this one. We know that when Paul was here, this person was the king, right? So they'll date it back and go, we know that the resurrection of Jesus is here. So we might look at those different events and go, that probably happened about there. So this may have been three years or so after the resurrection. And afterwards, after many years after these things happened is when Luke wrote and said, like, here is the journey I want you to understand. But I want to read you these verses this morning. A story about a guy named Stephen. I'll read it and it says this. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, which means the follower of Jesus was growing, 
the Hellenistic Jews, which would be, Hellenistic Jews would be those people born outside of, the, uh, out of Israel. They're probably Greek Jews. Among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on table. So the 12, it's really 11, because Judas left. They added another one, Matthias. So that these 12 disciples of Jesus were like, we're going to continue this, but we need more help serving people. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Full of the spirit and wisdom. That's the first trait. Just to make sure you're with me. Can you say, full of the spirit and wisdom? All right. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost. Can you say, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost? Or the Holy Spirit, as probably what's on the screen behind me. Also, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Paramus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. It's interesting, Nicholas, a convert to Judaism. That kind of became his tagline. He also was uh, a Gentile, Hellenistic. He understood, he knew Greek. But he made this a choice as an adult to stop falling hit, but to convert to Judaism, which as an adult meant, as an adult you became circumcised to be under the covenant. As an adult he became consecrated or their annual blessing. It doesn't mean he's still Jews, and he, was, he became a follower of Jesus as well. But that became the reference point of this is the dude as an adult went through these things to convert. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That is such an interesting phrase. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. Say, full of God's grace and power. All right, we got three traits so far, full of the spirit and wisdom. We got a trait of full of faith in the Holy Spirit. We got another trait full of God's grace and power. Performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the, freed, of the freedmen, as it, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witness who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face 
was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? When the Holy Spirit is active and alive in your life, what does it look like? What does it look like in somebody else's life when God has access to those places that really matter, has access to those places of renewal, has access to those places of transformation? How do we know as we look back even last week that the difference is that I'm not just believing a list of truths, but I'm living out realities? They are a person of wisdom. They are a person full of faith. They are a person that lives out God's grace towards other people and God's power. And that when they speak, the wisdom of the Spirit gives them incredible insight. Father, we thank you. We gather together. We've come for many reasons. Maybe some have not even sure why they've come today. I pray you teach us through this example through this reality this morning. Help us to understand how damaging the accuser is and how powerful you are, God. In your name, amen. I've never personally been on trial as far as like in a courtroom. I've never been, I've never heard a lawyer make, uh, build a narrative case against me. But I've watched a law and order, so I consider myself a bit of an expert. <laughs> and I know if there's a guest star on the episode that you recognize, they are guilty, guilty, guilty. But there's times I sit and wonder, how would that feel like to be accused of something and to hear a narrative starting to be built against you? I mean, there's two sides. There's one that maybe you actually did it, and you're hearing this narrative. I mean, that's one level. You're like, man, this is true. I'm just looking for a loophole to get out. And then there's the other side, like, man, this person didn't even do this. I mean, they're being accused falsely. That must be so exact. I can't even imagine how that and to hear this accusations of like they did this and they did this and this is proof of this and whatever lies they're spinning. And there's probably some lawyers that are so good that even if you're innocent, you start believing it yourself. You're like, maybe I actually did do this. I mean, that's how good some accusers are. And then there's a kind of the third crazy situation. Or maybe you already went through this scenario. You already were like, you did this. Here's the price against you, and you paid your debt. And then they kind of wheel you back out and do the same thing over again. You know, like, wait, I already went through this. And like, nope, we're doing it again. And then again. And then again. And in every one of these scenarios, there's this jury, and what do they believe? And they get to decide what's true and right about you. But in the realm of spirituality, in the realm of our inner life, in the realm of the accuser that we have in our life, there isn't a jury he's going after. He's going after you. He's making you be reminded of the things that you've done. And even though Jesus says, forgiven, I mean, Jesus is the judge. 
Jesus isn't just the fellow prosecutor. It's not like whom I believe. Jesus is like, that person's accusing you, but I sit in the place of authority that says, no, it's forgiven. It's done. I've separated you. And you're like, yeah, but this, this lawyer's really good. I'm starting to believe them. Jesus is like, it's not important. Because they're coming after your heart. They're coming after my soul. And I'm just going to be as open and honest as I can this morning. There's so many times I don't even see it. I don't even realize it. Because I'm starting to believe a lie. Back to the story we read in Acts. Stephen was asked to serve those in need. To take care of those who hurt. Who've been overlooked. And the lies that seemed to be developed about him came from this place where other people felt that their stability was being challenged by this guy. Stability. In the context of this story, it's probably a deeper cultural thing that Stephen starts to say, this Jesus, he's the one we've been looking for. And maybe they feel challenged. And I, and I don't want to just disregard how hard this may have been for them for so long, hanging on to something. But I also want to say that when we start believing that following Jesus is connected to anything more than following Jesus, we're starting to already believing a lie or we're aligning ourselves to one. So this challenge around stability Security. I mean, you fill in the word. Whatever it is that you're longing for, if you're like, if this just happens, I would be in a better place. That's whatever that word is for you. If I had a little bit more of this, a little more money, a little more fame, a better relationship, whatever it is. If this just happened, then this is how I'll feel. That's the battleground right there. How that fits. So what makes you feel the opposite in your own life? What makes you feel unstable? What makes you feel vulnerable? You see, security is a good thing. I mean, God, that's what God's offers. Like, I am the sure foundation. I want you to be secure in me. I want you to be confident. But the battleground is where we're placing that security in. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, a man named Parker J. Palmer observes this. In finding your true identity, the one God, the one that God created in you, we must withdraw the negative projections we make on people, ourselves, and situations. Projections that serve mainly to mask our fears about ourselves and acknowledge and embrace our liabilities and limits. It's only then we start to see ourselves as God sees us, that we are his workmanship, created for his purpose. In other words, in words that I understand better, stop helping the one who is falsely accusing you by accusing yourself. Stop joining in on the accusation party. If you're on trial and this lawyer is accusing you of something and you raise your hand, you're like, yeah, he's right. Or like, no, you forgot this part. Let me add this part to it. 
That's the part. I remember in my home, it's just a small little family, me, my wife, my daughter. My daughter's home this weekend, so yay! A little joy, sorry. I mean, we can applaud and clap, yay. She's going home tonight, yay! <laughs> Love you, babe. But there was this thing that we would remind each other. And it usually would come out when one of us was um, negative towards ourselves. Reminding ourselves, I am terrible at this, or I don't feel right, or I'm this, or this, or that. And the line that we would say to each other, this world is mean enough. You don't need to join in. You don't need to participate in the things this world is saying to us. It's like joining the accuser who is falsely accusing you. In Stephen's story, I wonder how many lies these people had to believe to come up with an idea to lie about a man whose characteristics were he was a man full of wisdom. He was a man full of faith. He was a man full of God's grace. He was wise. I mean, how many lies do you have to believe to think, we need to bring this guy down? He is a threat. While this man actually should have been given more authority, lies find no value in the good. They're destructive. And one of the main issues we see is that there's a gap in our lives. One of the needs that we see, that I see, that you might see, that we see even in, in the church and people of faith, that there's a gap. That there's a gap between justification and sanctification. What does that mean? Justification would be coming to faith in Jesus. He forgives us. And easy to remember justification. And he looks at us now as just as if I'd never sinned. We're forgiven. Amazing. Free. Sanctification is that working out of that faith. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's growing. It's being strengthened. It's discipleship. It's moving forward. And when I say there's a gap, it's not like God created this gap, but we come to faith and then we try to combine all of the things we've been hearing in life and culture and try to hold those things together. And that in that space between coming to believe in Jesus and giving the Holy Spirit access to our life that we become like this, that gap is growing. Some call it cultural Christianity. Some might call it national Christianity. Some call it political Christianity. But we've added so many things to following Jesus that really have nothing to do with Jesus at all. And one of the areas that the accuser wants to just thrive in your life is to make that gap bigger, broader, wider. That when someone says, tell me about your faith, you go like, I go to church. Well, I believe in Jesus. And you might even say, which is true, I'm not really perfect, but I'm trying. Great, I understand that, me too. But if that's the end of the story, there's a gap between your coming to faith and you becoming a person of wisdom, grace, power. He thrives in that spot. The lies and the accusations don't stop when we come to Jesus. In fact, they probably will increase. 
The accuser goes on full assault when he feels like his mission is at risk. When we just confuse the longings that we have in our heart for things I must have, we actually confuse godly contentment with stability. We think God wants me to be stable, so I'm going to add these things. But no, no, really, God wants you to be content within him. There's a man named Ronald Rollheiser, and anything this man writes, I try to read. He blows my mind a little bit. In his book that's called The Fire Within, he writes this. Longing and yearning are so close to the core of the human person that some theologians define loneliness as being the human soul. That is, the human soul is not something that gets lonely. It is a loneliness. The soul is not something that has a cavity of loneliness within it. It is a cavity of loneliness. A grand canyon without a bottom, a cavern of longing created by God. The cavern is not something in the soul. It is the soul. The soul is not something that has a capacity for God. It doesn't mean like God can fit in there. It is a capacity for God. Okay. You, if you chew on that for all, like, whoa, that, 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 that's a little deep. What he is saying is this. We were created, as we looked last week, in the image of God. We were created as his people. He created us with a soul. Capacity. The soul was not meant for like a little of God, a little of this, a little of that. It is the place that holds God's presence within us. And what the accuser wants to do is add anything that he can to that space. A little God's okay, but I'm also going to add this and this and this. Or make you believe God's not enough, so you need a little bit of this and this. The accuser wants to add as much to that shared space in our God-created soul as possible. This is one of the reasons why we need to remind ourselves of even what we just read in the generosity creed. It is a resistance against things creeping into the place where God is. And there's times we just need to have this declaration of like, I'm not going to let that happen. So we say things like it's a proactive resistance to the accuser that's trying for that space. So we say things like, we who call Jesus Lord devote ourselves to resisting greed, which plunges the human heart into ruin and pierces it with many griefs. We are determined to practice generosity with free hearts, fixing our hope in God, not the uncertainty of wealth. The generosity creed is not a fundraising statement. We don't read this together to go, man, I wonder if tithing's going up. We read this as a proactive resistance to the accuser trying to get his way in to that space. 
There's a book out called The The Sabbath Resistance. It's a place of rest. That it's an active resistance to the busyness of life that the accuser wants to throw at you. So my active resistance is to withdraw and be with God. Passiveness is not an option. What are the lies that you've been believing? What are the lies that Satan's been telling you? What is his mission? I mean, what is he really trying to do? Hmm. I came up with a few things. I think one of, the mission, one of the missions that the accuser is trying to have in our lives is to have each of us settle for less than what God offers. Just settle for less. How does he do that? Well, one of the ways, maybe it's settling for the tangible feeling of anger over the peace of forgiveness. He takes that, maybe that momentary disagreement you just had with a spouse, a friend, whoever. You saw things differently. You know what I mean? When someone says something and you're, you're hurt, or you said something and they're hurt, and all of a sudden that friendship, that relationship has a little bit of a disagreement there. He wants to take that one and have you not reconcile at all, like right away for sure. And then he wants to feed it. He wants to turn it into a narrative of destruction. He wants to keep it in the dark. He feeds it. He fertilizes it. He strengthens it. It's just a momentary disagreement. There's that moment where God's like, man, just say you're sorry, say you're sorry, I didn't mean that. And you're like, nope, I'm digging in. That's settling for less than what God's providing. Another way is settling for the isolating pride of being right over the community construction power of reconciliation. Like, man, if I, if I reconcile, if I may, they, may, they may not know that I'm the one who's really right here. Satan's like, yeah, love Jesus, go to church, do all those things. But if I can get you to hang on that you're right over reconciliation, a little bit I have. I also think part of his mission is for us to be okay living like a spiritual pauper when he provides the unlimited. This is like having access to your own home and food and all the things and you're like, I'm going to go live under a bridge by choice. I mean, I have all this stuff, but I'm not going to partake. How does that happen? He does that by, by when we entangle ourselves with the momentary lure of lust, by feeding a broken human sexuality with more broken sexuality. He does that, we settle for being a pauper when we continue to run on the hamster wheel, if you will of depending on the fleeting approval of others, who are also depending on the fleeting approval of others, who are also depending on the fleeting but approval of others. It doesn't get us anywhere. So like I'm counting on you who's counting on somebody else and it's just Satan's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Look at how others feel and think and what they're saying about you. I've got you. We also settle by blaming God for the results of decisions that we've made, apart from the resource of wisdom and counsel that he provides. 
Or like, well, I went to church, but I still made this decision, but that's got to be God's fault. When he's like, no, no, I provided people. I provided insight. We're like, I'm going to blame you. Final part of his mission is for us to ignore the things that do matter and embrace the things that don't matter. We do this by walking past the hurt and the cries of another for the comfort and familiarity of our own schedule and preference. We do this by picking and choosing which issue of justice and mercy that we want to be about versus being for the justice of all of God's created people. Maybe the, the, the justice and mercy, the, the, the issue that you're about, could be a fantastic, amazing issue. But when we say we're just about this, but not that, Satan's like, yeah, 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 you stick here. That, that's still not really what I want, but I'll take it. Because if you can go cold-hearted towards these people while you're about this one, I'm still filling that space. You see, the lies of the accuser, even to Jesus, seem so close to being true, yet so destructive. The deception of, to, towards Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, we see that Jesus gets baptized. Then God declares something about him. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning on him, landing on him. And a voice from heaven said this. This is God's declaration. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The very next chapter, which means the next part of the story, Jesus then goes into the wilderness, and the accuser the devil comes in to tempt him. He uses this same line. Jesus says, you're my son. The temptation is this. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The next temptation. Then the devil took him to the, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says it again. He's quoting God. If you are the son of God, he also may have said, hey, since you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up at their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So close. Sometimes the accuser tells you things like, wow, that's, that sounds right. How do things sound right? I want to be happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? That sounds like something God would want. Therefore, this makes me happy. God must think it's okay if I do this. I mean, that is a simplistic thing. And the accuser is like, God wants you happy. Because it sounds awful to say out loud, God wants you to be unhappy. No, he doesn't. God wants you to be content. And contentment comes from the things that are in your soul that can actually bring contentment. Back to the story of Stephen. Stephen becomes incredibly dangerous to the accuser because he becomes a storyteller. A storyteller of truth. Not a storyteller for his own advantage, but the move forward the story of God. He becomes a key witness. He becomes that person that enters the courtroom who actually saw it happen. 
Acts chapter 7 is an incredible chapter for all of us to read because Stephen then says, here's been the story of God all the way through time, and you know this to be true. He became dangerous because the stories that the people were told were rooted in a lie and that he would direct them towards the story of God. And at the end of this story where he's aligning the journey of God with Abraham and Isaac and with Moses and all these things, he gets a little bold, der, and says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. Now, what does that mean? Circumcision was an act as a child that would show that your covenant before God was your entrance into a covenant relationship with God through the covenant people. What Stephen is saying, that physically your body may show resemblances of a covenant, your heart and your ears show no evidence. So that's why he says you're still not even showing evidence. You are, not like, you are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen... One of the things in his resume, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Let's just pause for a second. At Easter, we talked about how Jesus rose from the dead. And what did he do? He went down and what next to God? Sat. Sat at the right hand. He's on the throne. He sees what's happening with his child right now. I don't need to sit, but I'm going to choose to sit. He sees what's happening with his child right now. He sees the active life of the Holy Spirit within somebody. And when the Holy Spirit's alive in you, lies look like what they are. They're lies. They're untruths. He sees what's happening. He sees these people riling up. He sees a truth teller. And when Jesus sees a truth teller, you know what he does? He's like, I'm all in. And I'm going to ruin my microphone. He stood up. What, who, who do you stand up for? For God? If you're at a wedding, when do you stand up? Bride comes in. Why do you stand up? And it's honoring. When you see something that you're like, everything's aligned right there. Everything's aligned. I got your back. I'm standing up for you. This isn't about Stephen earned his right. This is about we Jesus responding to that which is right. Jesus is looking at you and he's like, I want to stand. I'm standing for you because I see you through my death and resurrection. And I want you to look up and see me standing for you. I just try to picture that sometimes. Because you know what the accuser will tell me? You're not worth standing for. Actually, God's disappointed in you. Look, you had that thought. You weren't kind. Da 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 da. You know what Jesus is saying to us? Nice job. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
And this is the response of the people. At this, they covered their ears and they started yelling at the top of their voices because they, the only option they have is more chaos. They all rushed him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, I'm not saying be like Stephen, go get rocks thrown at you. But this is the end result of lies. There is no peace. Meanwhile, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who was observing all of this. While they were stoning him, Peter prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out something so transformational. The same thing that Jesus cried when he was on the cross. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, forgiveness is aligning ourselves with the Spirit. It's aligning ourselves with truth. It's rejecting the lies of the enemy. There are some things in this world, my friends, you know this. There are some things in this world that are just so obviously outright evil. I mean, just so evil. Where a guy would drive a couple hundred miles to assassinate people in a store. And the hatred of how he got there. We see it like there's nothing there. So evil. And there's some things, they don't even seem that far off. They seem so close. They actually seem unkind if we don't do them. But they're still lies. And those lies are seeking to destroy the very same thing. Jesus within you. What does this have to do with renewal? As we saw in week one, the process of renewal in this graph from Mark Sayers is kind of like a U-turn. We're going down this path and we're broken inside by this holy discontent. There's a brokenness inside of us. And then there's this preparation in our heart and contending for things that are right and pursuing God. And as we make this U-turn, the accuser in your life and in the life of our church and the life of anyone who's a believer is going to offer you so many off-ramps from continuing this U-turn, probably unheard of. Some of those off-ramps would just look like exhaustion. I'm just tired. I need a break. Some of those will just be the lies like, you know the thing in your heart that, he, that God's calling you to do? You're not really going to do it. It's doubt. Sometimes these off-ramps are just so much sin. They're like, you're trying to overcome that? I'm going to make that sin look so good. I'm just going to lie to you. So as we make this turn, as you make this turn, any times where we're like, I just want this to be different. God's calling me to something different. We have to be aware that there are so many off-ramps offered, and that's the, that's the accuser saying, just take this one. You're not going to make it anyways. Take this one. No one's going to know about this sin. Because the sin of lust is just a private one, really. It's not. And as we renew it, we have to see that these off-ramps that we're being provided is not of God, but it is of the accuser. It's not accomplished simply by willpower. It, willpower in itself will not get you through. You see, the Spirit's work of renewal within you produces something. The work of renewal in your life will produce 
wisdom. It will produce faith. It will produce grace and power. And they will show the lies of what they really are. The story of Stephen takes his tragic turn, for this is the inevitable truth of all lies. There's no good ending for lies. There's no good result. But what if we, even though this story ends with like an assault of literal rocks, an assault of lies, what if we, for a few moments, ended our service with assault of truth? Probably not the right words. Sounds kind of cool. We're going to assault the enemy with truth. Would you do it? As we do in every service, I just want us to pause for a moment. To hear from God. To listen to God. I often just stop and listen to the breath that he gave me first. First question I want you to ask him, as you're listening to him, what are the lies that I've been believing that I just need to stop believing today? Listen to what he says to you. What truths do you want to tell me right now, God? What truth do you want me to start believing today? you have those things in your mind? See, I, be, I really do believe, I believe the accuser is just fine that we gathered today. Like he knows believers are going to gather in a church. He knows. He probably didn't like any of the songs. Sorry about that, Chris. The accuser didn't like the songs today. Hopefully, the accuser wasn't super happy about my message today. Because his real hope, honestly, is that we leave and we've just consumed. And maybe we're like, well, I'll consider some of this stuff. And that we would stop short of declaring and renewing today. That's what he really hopes. He just hopes that you're like, huh, interesting. Interesting. Got a lot on my schedule. He's hoping that we don't have the guts to stop for a moment and to bring some things out into the light. And you're like, I haven't been to a church that did this before. Great. I just want to give some space. What lie has the accuser been saying to you? You've just had enough. I'll go first. When I got diagnosed with MS, I believed the lie that God would no longer use me. I just did. I believed it. I thought I was done with ministry 12 years ago because I got sick. And every time that I get a flare-up, which I've had the past couple weeks a little bit, that lie comes back. Okay, he's been using you for a while, but now he's done. It's just a lie. And I declare that in front of you all. It's a lie. I do not believe it. Anybody else 
just want to share, this is a lie. It doesn't have to be long. It could just be like, man, I've been down. Whatever you want to say. Does anybody else want to take a moment and just say, I want to bring something from the darkness to the light in front of people and say, this is a lie. Is that a lie? The enemy told Roger he'd never get sober. Are you sober? sober. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Any other lies you've been believing? You're like, I just want to bring this out. Just yell. I can't see. Yeah. The enemy's told you that you are not worthy of a career path. But God says, yes, you are. You are my child, right? Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's call it out. Amen. Any other lie? Say that again, please. Man, the enemy's been telling you you can't be the man that God made you to be. That is a lie, isn't it? The truth is that you are the man God created you to be, and he has something for you. Praise the Lord. Anything else? I'm just giving space. Just yell it out, please. Yeah. 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 Hmm. <laughs> There are some accusations being made against our brother that aren't true, and the enemy wants people to believe it, but they're not true. God says not true. Amen. Amen. Just, I just want to give space for this to be a day. The enemy's telling you that I'm a loser or you're a loser? I'm a, he tells me that too, brother. We're just tired of the enemy saying we're losers. God says, no, you're not. God standing up and saying, that's my son. Amen. Praise the Lord. Any more? Just like, I just want this day to be the day I'm like, enough lies. It doesn't have to happen like this. I'm just giving you space to. Sister, the enemy is lying to you. Here's some spirit of truth. God has given you a spirit of truth. There's nothing in this world, my friend, that will ever separate you from the love of God. Romans 8, 38, 39, no matter what comes up, sister, God has you, God's with you, God's truth is with you. The enemy wants you to stop because he's scared of a truth teller. Be a truth teller for God, my sister. The lie is that the best days of our community are behind us. Man, does the enemy want that to be true, huh? The truth is what? The best days are ahead of us. Amen. Anything out? Yes. Way in the back.
put in jail a couple of times for what he hadn't done. But by God's grace, you're here. That's the truth, huh? Praise the Lord. Anybody want to yell out a truth? This is what God told me. He's like, this is, here's a truth I want you to know today about me. Maybe someone needs to hear a truth of God. Awesome. You feel love. Truth of God. Praise the Lord. Any other truth? Because this should be the power of gathering together, that we haven't just come to consume, but that we're like, wait, I was blessed. Wait, I moved. Wait, I heard things. Yeah. Wow. Praise the Lord, Julio. Praise the Lord, Julio. Julio was facing a disease where he, his eyes, right, he couldn't see, and he went to, he got healed. And every day that he's strong or better, he's like, this is a place where God is, a God's truth, God's a healer. Every weekend. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Any other any other truth that God told you? Say something. Just want to give space. Amen, Rod. God loves us just the way we are. Truth. I know I've been around this church for a long time. Some of you are like, wait, Dale, what is happening? You know what's happening? We're just being honest right? And we're being honest. And we're just saying, this is enough, enough of the lies. So I want to declare. We're going to respond now. We respond every week and we call it a ministry. It's a time of ministry where we can minister to you by reminding you of the truth of the death of Jesus. That he died for the very lies that you're believing. He died for those to free you from those. So we want to remind you of I want to close this in a prayer. It's the daily prayer of a devotional that I read and that I listen to, and I just would love to lead you through this as we close. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone that I meet. In spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all that I do and say. God bless you. May you be filled with his spirit and may you know the truth of Jesus within you. Look forward to being with you after service and thanks for being here today where we, we just called out some lies today and that's a good day. Yep. Praise the Lord. Amen. See you soon.